You're in for a treat this morning. I'm excited. Uh, a friend started as a colleague, but now I call him my friend, Pastor Charlie. Him and his wife, Jordan, are right on the heels of planning a brand new church in Auburn, Alabama, the Plains Church. Uh, it's going to be incredible. They've, um, you know, uh, some of the folks that have been here from when we began Upper Room Church, uh, the launch parties and building the dream team and the, the run-through services and the practice services. And so Charlie's right in the middle of all that. But uh, we've had the pleasure of being able to, to serve them as they get ready to do this. And, you know, church planning, I've, I've been asked, well, why are we planning more churches, right? There's lots of churches. And this is why. <laughs> I think there's nothing, there's not a greater way to reach people in the United States right now than planning new churches. And, and when somebody goes to plant a new church, it's incredible what happens in that community. It's like people come alive. God places it on their hearts to, to go and serve. And, and, and some folks, you know, are kind of, they're waiting on the Plains Church to be launched. And so we, we want to continue to support the Plains Church. And, and because of your generosity, uh, Charlie's going to leave with a $5,000 check from Upper Room uh, this morning. And we're going to keep the support coming, um, you know, because the, the launch part's just the beginning. And then it's like, what do I do with this thing now, <laughs> you know, once the church is launched? But if you could, let's give Pastor Charlie Craig an incredible hand as he comes up to bring the word this morning. Man, I, I love this church, and I love your pastors. Um, just great friends. And um, we've known each other for a few years now, but... Um, I just see where God is kind of taking our relationship just kind of to another level. And you guys serving as overseers and just the generosity of this house. Uh, Jordan and I consider it an honor um, to, to, to be a part of what's happening here in Pensacola Beach, even in Auburn, Alabama. Uh, God's doing incredible things. We're seeing financial miracles. You guys are a part of that. Uh, we're seeing people um, be reached just from social media posts. I mean, it, it's incredible what God is doing. And we see it now, just the community, uh, their hearts being softened, just being prepared for what God has coming. Um, I, I have a word. I know we're in a series, um, Seven Ships, right? So we're talking about, talking about a boat. And y'all being on the beach, uh, I'm very, very sure that you guys are familiar with boats and uh, water life and marine life and all of all of that kind of cool stuff. So today we want to talk about Jonah. People always refer to Jonah in the whale, but let's talk about Jonah in the boat. All right? Yeah, we're going to talk about Jonah in the boat, but also Jonah in the well. And I think that this message I have planned today, uh, that God really put on my heart, is um, not necessarily a soft message. And someone mentioned earlier today, don't be afraid to step on some toes. I mean, I think the Word of God just does it itself. And we're going to look almost verse by verse at the book of Jonah, a very short book, just four chapters, and it's pretty straightforward. And I, when, when, you, when you hear this message, when you hear a point that kind of uh, hits you, you know, you ever just get hit like, oh, okay, you might be talking to me. Uh, that hurt. <laughs> uh, just know that I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. And, and the word of God is, is going to do something incredible in all of our lives today. And I want us to see the character of God and also our response to God's character. So let's look at Jonah, starting at chapter 1, and we're going to go almost verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And um, I'll be quick today. I know that um, we got fans going here. I feel like I'm in old school church. 
You know, I grew up in a, um, in a, in a Baptist church, and sometimes it would get hot in our old sanctuary, and everybody would have these church fans going. I don't know if you know what a church fan is, but um, we would have these church fans. So um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the first thing that we see right here is that Jonah is called by God. I mean, no questions asked. God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah is called to prophesy and to speak and to preach to this great city called Nineveh. So it's clear that Jonah must be gifted and he must be anointed by God to do the task that God is calling him to do in reaching that city of Nineveh. I mean, the thing about it is Nineveh wasn't just some small town. I mean, in that day and age, Nineveh was a great city. It was a large city. It was greatly advanced for that time. Preaching to the city of Nineveh and reaching the city of Nineveh was no small task. So no doubt that Jonah is a man of God called by God to do a great and important Test. Verse 3, and it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. Very interesting. Jonah gets this word from God, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes 3,000 miles in the opposite direction to a city called Tarshish. And, and the reason why he's doing this, the Bible says, is to flee the presence of God. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it and to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of God. So, so, so Jonah is called by God, but now we see that Jonah is running from God. He's called by God, but now he's running away from the calling that God has on his life. He literally paid money to go in the very opposite direction in, in which the place that God had called him to. He paid resources. He made an investment. He made a sacrifice to go in the very opposite direction of God's calling for his life. And here's the interesting fact. I want us to get this. We may think that following God is a sacrifice. But we see in this account, in this book of John, this account in the Bible, we see in this scripture that not following God will cost you as well. Oftentimes we hear of the sacrifice that we have to make to follow Jesus and follow the calling that he has on our lives. But it's also a sacrifice to run away from that calling. It's a sacrifice to be in rebellion into that which God has called us to. The difference, though, is that God rewards us, and we get a greater return on our sacrifice. We get a greater return on our investment, greater than we could ever imagine. But the things of this world... And the things that Satan tempts us with, when we make a sacrifice to go after those things, we don't get a return. You know what happens? It takes 
from us, and it takes from us, and it takes from us continuously. Following God is a sacrifice. We're going to have to give up some things, but the greater return is greater than we could ever imagine. But when we decide to be in rebellion against God, that sacrifice that we make, we get no return for it. We continue to sacrifice. We continue to compromise. We compromise our peace. We compromise our joy. We compromise our sanity. We sacrifice all these things when we make the decision to go into the opposite direction in which God and his word has called us to go in. Me obeying God and planting a church in Auburn, Alabama is a sacrifice. Amen. Planting a church, my brother, is a sacrifice. Can the church say amen? It's not an easy task. But I could not imagine doing anything else. If I decided, hey, I'm going to go back to my retail life. I'm going to go back to uh, sales and marketing, and, and I know that I can do that. I'm going to do something else and, uh, to get away from what God has called me to do because I'm not willing to pay the price. If I were to make that decision, I'd sacrifice my peace. I sacrifice my calling. I sacrifice my sense of purpose. I sacrifice the very reason that God placed me here on planet Earth to do what I want to do instead of doing what God has called me to do. And we know that the reward is so much greater. God can pay back and return to us more than that which the world can give us. God's called us to plant a church. God's called you to do something specifically. Only you know what that is. God's called you to it, and he will reward you for following his word. He will reward you for your obedience. But to sacrifice God's calling will only bring us turmoil. So the question that I ask, we see that Jonah is running from his calling. The question that I got to ask is, why in the world is he not wanting to do this. Like, this is an awesome opportunity. I mean, being in the ministry for about 10 years, you know, when you get called to come to Upper Room Church, I'm like, hey, come on, bring me down. We're going to do it. I mean, God's called him to this great city of Nineveh. Why in the world would he not want to go and use this gifting, use what God's called him to do? Why would he? I think there's three things that, that, that may be taking place in Jonah's heart, and it happens to us all the time. And, and these things are very present in each and every one of our lives, but we have to make a decision not to let these things overtake us. First, I think it's intimidation. I believe that maybe perhaps Jonah might have been intimidated by the city of Nineveh. The Bible tells us that Nineveh was a great city. It was a huge city. It would be hard work to reach all the people in the city of Nineveh. He's not talking about a, a one small town with one stop sign. We're talking about a great city, a very advanced city. And, and, and here's the thing, all of us may say at some point in our Christian journey that we want to do something great for God, but there's very few of us, and I hate to say it, that, that will put in a great work to get done what God has called us to do. 
Very few of us want to make a great sacrifice to experience the greatness of God and what he's called us to do. Jonah may, have, Jonah may have been intimidated by the city of Nineveh because it was beyond his physical capacity. But God had called him to it. I think the second thing may be fear. But yeah, Jonah's intimidated by this, by this great city. But then Jonah may also be afraid of going there. Why is that? The Bible says that great evil was taking place in that city. There was great evil happening in the city of Nineveh. Perhaps he said in his heart that I don't want to go to those people. Why would I want to be in that community? I don't want to be caught in the midst of all that's going on there. I mean, I mean I'm simply afraid because of all the evilness that's taking place in the city of Nineveh. So you have intimidation and you have fear, but then also there's this component of hatred that Jonah would not have liked the people in Nineveh. Why is that? Because they were the people of God's, they were their enemy. Nineveh was known for taking advantage of cities around them and countries around them. They'd fight them for their resources and for their land and for their people. Perhaps Jonah had hate in his heart for the people of Nineveh. Jonah's prayer in that day and age wouldn't be, God, would you save them? His prayer would have been, God, would you destroy them on our behalf? Jonah didn't want to see the city of Nineveh saved. He wanted to see the city of Nineveh destroyed. How many, of, how many of us in our lives have people who have offended us, people who have hurt us, people who have done great wrong against us? Anybody have those people in your life? I do. Those hands. Help us, Lord. Yes. And, and a lot of times our prayer isn't, God, would you bless them? God, would you save them? God, would you help them? God, would you give them a new perspective? God, would you help me love them? Our prayer may be, God, would you knock them out unconscious? God, would you destroy them? God, would you uh, pick them up and move them to a different country miraculously in Jesus' name? A lot of times, that's our prayer, that we would have hate in our heart for people who are against us. So Jonah's dealing with hate, he's dealing with fear, and he's dealing with intimidation, and rightly so when you look at it in the natural, but God called him to preach to the people of Nineveh. The Bible says that Jonah decided, hey, I'm not going to go there. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm going to go to um, Tarshish. 3,000 miles in the opposite direction in, of Nineveh. And you know what? I'm going to pay money to get there. That's what Jonah said, and that's what he did. Jonah, the Bible says that in his heart, Jonah said, I'm going to flee from the presence of God. So Jonah left Joppa and headed for Tarshish as if God's presence isn't in Tarshish. Okay, I'm leaving where I'm at. God wants me to go to Nineveh. Maybe if I go in the opposite direction, God won't be there. Yeah? It's like a child when they're in trouble. I'm going to close my eyes, and because my eyes are closed, my parents can't see me, and they can't get to me. I mean, I mean this... For, for a man of God in this day and age of scripture, this, this is crazy thinking that Jonah would say, I'm going to flee from the presence of God as if God is not everywhere. I mean, God is everywhere. God's 
And in this church, amen, God's at the restaurant down the street. I mean, even God's even in Walmart. I mean, my goodness, bless the Lord. I mean, everywhere you go, God is there. The Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That means that God is present everywhere all at the same time. But here's what happens. When we let our intimidation, our fear, and our hate, when we let those things overtake us, it begins to distort our faith. It begins to distort our view of God. It begins to distort the things that we know in our heart to be true. Jonah cannot flee the presence of God because God is omnipresent. Here's what David said in Psalms 139. David said, where can I go from your spirit, O God? Or where can I flee your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. God's in this church building. God's in the place that we went last night that we don't want anyone else in this room to know about. God is present in our secret lives. God is present in our most secret place. God is everywhere. Amen? The Bible also tells us that God is omniscient. That means that he's all-knowing. So not only is he present everywhere, but he also knows everything. And this isn't something to share us or to guilt us or to make us feel afraid but this is something that should comfort us because the God that we serve is a loving God the God that we serve is a good God the Bible says that he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children amen the God that we serve is a good God so God is present everywhere when you feel like you're, you're the most furthest away from your faith in your life journey, God is right there with you. When you feel like you're living out this secret life that you're so ashamed of and you don't want people to know about it, understand that God is right there with you. When you feel like you're in the best part of your life and you're doing it and you're getting it done, God is right there with you. When you feel as if you're at your lowest of your low, understand that God is right there with you. And do you know what God brings with him? He brings his grace. Amen. He brings his mercy. He isn't there to condemn you. He isn't there to, to judge you or to punish you. God is there just waiting for the moment that you would turn your heart back to him. God is right there in that very moment just saying, hey, would you turn your eyes back to me? Would you turn back to me? God is there waiting with open arms saying, I want to love you and I want to take good care of you. Clap your hands and give God praise today because I'm doing a good job preaching. Amen. Come on. I feel like preaching today, but I'm going to be quick. I don't want to fall out up here. <laughs> so Jonah, he gets on a ship at the dock of Joppa, and he heads to Tarshish. And we pick up that verse 4, and this is what it says. So Jonah's on this ship, and it says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, a storm arose, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Interesting point. Jonah is resting while he brings all this chaos to the people around him. And, and, and I'm going to be quick here. I believe that Jonah is completely disconnected from reality of what's happening. So disconnected that he sleep in the middle of a storm, not because he has inner peace, but because he's choosing to ignore the calamity that his actions are bringing. Jonah isn't asleep on this boat because he has the peace of God. Jonah is asleep on this boat because he's ignoring the presence of God. He's wanting to get away from the presence of God. He's in complete rebellion against God. And he's making the conscious decision to go in the opposite direction in which God has called him to. And he's pretending like everything is fine. Jonah is in the midst of a life threatening storm and he's pretending like everything is okay how many of us in the midst of our self-inflicted chaos pretend like everything is okay everyone around us is saying oh my gosh like, like, this is terrible. Like, what you're doing is ruining your life. What you're taking a part of is destroying your life. What's happening to you is, is completely uh, terrible. And here you are pretending like everything is okay. But really what's happening is you're in the fight of your life, but pretending as if nothing's wrong. And pretending like the storm isn't there doesn't make the storm go away. It gets worse and worse and worse. I'm here to encourage you this morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Pretending like the storm isn't there doesn't make the storm go away. Pretending as if the addiction isn't there doesn't make the addiction go away. Amen. Pretending like the unforgiveness isn't there doesn't bring peace to your life. It's just messed. Amen? It's a cover-up. Jonah is asleep in the middle of the storm about to die because he's choosing to ignore his actions and what he's bringing to the people around him. So longer passage right here. Let's look at verse 7 to 16. It says this. So the crew members, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know who, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of God because he had told them. Verse 11. Then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more terrible. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Am I saying that word right? Against them. Therefore, he called out to the Lord, O Lord, help us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Very interesting passage in this book. So, so, so here's the truth of the matter. God will send storms in each and every one of our lives to get our attention. God will send storms to get our attention. And many of us are praying, God, deliver me from the devil. God, deliver me from this evil. God, help me out of this situation. The devil is attacking me when in all actuality, it is God disrupting us to get our full attention. Here's a word for you. God sent the storm. God sent the storm that's in your life. Well, that's comforting to know. Amen. God sent the storm. The storm isn't from Satan attacking Jonah. This is Jonah attacking Jonah. This is a, a self-inflicted situation that Jonah has brought upon his life because he's defying the Lord and because he is, and this is why he's experiencing this terrible storm. If we stop trying to do life our own way and live our lives according to God's word, then many of us will experience peace in our lives. But when we live in contrary to the word of God, then chaos is inevitable. Amen? When we live in rebellion against God's word, then chaos is inevitable. Our disobedience affects the people around us as well. That Jonah is on this ship and they're all fighting for their lives, wondering why am I experiencing all of this right now? And it's because of Jonah. Jonah's disobedience doesn't just affect Jonah. It affects the people around him. Your disobedience, your rebellion, your, your um, life against God's word doesn't just affect your life, but it affects the people around you. The people who are closest to you, our disobedience to God affects the people around us. Many of us bring chaos to people around us because of our bad decisions and our rebellion against God. So here's what happened. They're experiencing this storm and they finally decide to throw Jonah overboard, not because they wanted to, but because they had to. And maybe you're experiencing hell in your life, 
not because of your decisions, but because of the people around you. Who are you allowing into your life? Who are you allowing into your atmosphere? Who are you and what are you allowing into your home? Maybe you're experiencing all the hell that you're experiencing because of the decision of people that you are allowing into your life. Give God a hand clap of praise today. And maybe that's a word for you. Maybe the best thing for you to do is to simply throw them overboard. Now, don't go throwing people off boats today <laughs> because of today's message. Perhaps it's time for you to stop dating that person. Perhaps it's time for you to stop hanging out with that person. Perhaps it's time for you to stop allowing that person into your home. I tell you, I learned a word not too long ago, maybe about eight years ago, that brought so much peace into my life. And that word is no. That word is no. Sometimes I put something in front of it because I'm in church today. I'm just going to say no. Just kidding. All right, it's an awful joke. But sometimes a word that will bring peace into your life is no, I'm not going to loan you money because you're just going to destroy your life and bring chaos into all of our lives because of your lifestyle. No, I'm not going to give you a place to stay because every time you're in this atmosphere, chaos breaks out. No, I'm not going to do this for you or go there with you because every time we're around each other, there's drama, drama, and trauma, trauma. Perhaps it's time for you to start saying no to people in your life that you know are bringing chaos into your environment, chaos into your home. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for another person is to tell them, no, I'm not going to help you. I know that we want to be a yes culture, and a lot of times we want to be as nice and as kind as we can, but sometimes the nicest thing that you can do for someone is to tell them no. No, I'm not going to invest in that. No, I'm not going to go there with you. No, I'm not going to let you into my home, not because I hate you, but because I love you. And you're going to see how all of this is going to work out. The, the men, they threw Jonah overboard, not because they were so eager to do so. They, in fact, they're like, hey, let's continue to fight through this storm. Let's continue to row. Let's continue to go. Oh, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. All right, my brother, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Amen. Baby, I love you so much you can come to church with me, but no, we ain't going to hang out. I love you so much you can come to small group with me, but no, nah, you can't stay at my house. Oh, I love you so much we can go to church and worship together and hear the word and all the amazing preaching, but no, 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 no. We're not going to invest in this together. Perhaps the best thing you can do for yourself and for that other person is to say, no, they threw him overboard. In verse 17, the Bible says that the Lord appointed a great fish, a whale, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So God sent a storm and God sent the whale to swallow Jonah. Oh, we serve a good God today. Amen. Let's all follow Jesus, yes? 
So God sent the storm. God sent the fish. The storm wasn't from the devil. The storm wasn't from his haters. The storm wasn't from all the people who are against him. The storm was because of his self-inflicted lifestyle of negativity and going against the word of God. So God sent this storm and he sent this fish to get his attention. Understand that it isn't because God hated him. It's not even because God wanted to punish him. It's not because God wanted to torture him. This is the love of God. In my household, we would get whoopings. I don't know what they do nowadays, but we would get that belt across the behind. And my parents would say, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm like, well, love hurts. Your love stinks. God is doing this because he loves Jonah. And he's trying to get his attention to get him to turn back to him. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. So Jonah's in the belly of the well. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. This is why God sent the storm. This is why God sent the fish. This is why perhaps, perhaps, you're experiencing some of the chaos that you're experiencing in your life. Not because it's punishment from God, not because it's torture from God, but because God is trying to get your attention. This was an act of grace. The storm was an act of grace. The fish was an act of grace. If it wasn't, Jonah would have died, and God would have called up another prophet to go to Nineveh and preach to them. If God was so mean and so cruel, God would have let Jonah die in the storm. God would have let Jonah drown in the sea or die in the belly of the well. But because this is an act of grace, Jonah gets a second chance. So Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And while he's sitting there and, and, and all of that disgustingness, while he's there in the belly of the fish, and while, while he's there in the midst of the sea, the Bible says that Jonah prayed to God. That Jonah repents. That Jonah humbles himself and finally says, God, I've been so foolish. God, I'm wrong. It's not them, it's me. You hear that? It's not you, it's me. It's me. And God turned, and Jonah turns his heart back to God. And the worst part of the story, Jonah finally comes to his senses and says, God, would you forgive me? God, if it's not too late, would you use me just one more time? God, if it's not too late, I am finally willing to say yes to your calling on my life. 
God, if it's not too late, would you get me out of this situation? Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, I know this is my fault. God, I know I've created this mess. All of this is because of me, not because of anyone else, not because of you, but this is my stuff and I am sitting in it. And God, would you help me and would you deliver me from it? Jonah finally humbles himself. And in Jonah chapter 3, my favorite verse in this account, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. If I had all day, I would preach this verse to the ground. For some of you may think it's too late for me. I'm too far gone. I'm too old. I've done too much wrong. I messed up too much. I destroyed too many relationships. But God says it's not too late. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Why? Because God's not just a God of second chances, but he's the God of another chance. God is drawing Jonah back to him, and he's just waiting for the moment for Jonah to repent. And God so quickly says, I'm going to speak to you a second time. And although you are so rebellious, although you are so hateful, although you are so insecure, although you are so fearful, I'm still going to call you to the place that I originally called you to. Give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Because he's a redemptive God. He says, I'm not going to take my calling off of your life. I'm not going to take my anointing off of your life. I'm not going to take my spirit from you just because you had a bad season, just because you made some intentional mistakes, but my calling is still on your life. And God wants you to know that his calling is still on your life today, even though you may have made mistakes, even though you may have done wrong, even though it's your fault. God wants you to know that he still loves you, he still calls you his child, and you're still called to the place that he called you to originally. Give him praise today. All right, I burnt 1,000 calories. Just a, few, just a few more to go. All right. Verse 2. God speaks to Jonah and he says, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Understand that delayed obedience is still disobedience. But because of the life lessons that Jonah went through, because of all the, the awful situations that Jonah went through, because of his fault, he finally learns his lesson. And the Bible says that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And the Bible explains that now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to get through it. So Jonah finally obeys the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead to um, verse number four. And it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days 
and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, awesome. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Understand this, when you're walking and you're calling, your voice will make a difference. Your action will make a difference. When you decide to submit your life to God's word, when you decide to submit your life to the calling that God has on your life, then your voice will make a difference. Your action will make a difference. We're here, we're in Auburn, Alabama. We're planting a church. People would say, well, how are people going to hear about you? Why would somebody come to a new church? Why would somebody come to all these pre-launch events that you're doing just because of a social media post? Because God called us to Auburn, and God has a people ready for us in the city of Auburn. Amen? This is why we're doing what we're doing. People may say, people aren't going to be a part of this. People want to be a part of something that's established. Why don't you just take an existing church? Try that. That wasn't God's calling for our lives. Amen? God called us to start a new work in our community and God is bringing the people. Amen? It doesn't make sense that someone would see a pre-launch event for a church on social media and say, I'm going to take the time out of my week to attend that. But we're seeing people come and we built our team to over 40 people because God called us to this city. And God is doing the work. When we submit our lives to the calling that God has for us, then we can make a difference. The Bible says that the king of Nineveh and all of his nobles declared a citywide fast, and they repented unto the Lord. God gave Jonah divine influence in a great city in just three days. Why? Because God called him to do that. God called him to do it, so God is doing the work through him. It doesn't make sense that the prophet Jonah could show up one day after being spit up from a well on the beach and walk into the city and say, repent, because God is going to destroy the city, and people actually listen to him. It doesn't make sense, but God gave Jonah divine influence in a moment in that city. At verse 10, it says this, when Jonah saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction. When God saw that they had repented and turned from evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah made a difference in the city of Nineveh because he finally decided to obey God. Understand this, just as your disobedience towards God affects other people, so does your obedience. And here's the question, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to leave a legacy of I did life my way and we brought wealth and fame unto our own names? 
and did nothing else for anyone else? Or do you want to say, I let God use me and what he is building? Your obedience makes a difference in the lives of others as well. This is the entire point. To see a community saved, to see family members saved, to see friends saved, to see God make a difference through us in our city and around the world. This is the entire point, to point people towards Jesus. All of the evil, all of the injustice that had taken place in Nineveh, and as soon as they repented, the Bible says that God relented. God was going to bring destruction to that city, but as soon as they turned their hearts to God, God said, I will give you grace and mercy. As soon as they turned to God. And guess what? The same was true for Jonah. As soon as Jonah repented, as soon as Jonah turned back to God, God delivered him from the storm that he was in. God delivered him from the belly of that fish, and God saved him. Just as God saved Jonah, God also saved Nineveh. But look at chapter 4 and what happens, verses 1 through 10, very quickly. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, that is, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who repents from sending calamity. Now the Lord, take away my life. He's, he wants to die. He says, God, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he had hoped that they would not repent. He had hoped that they would not turn from their evil ways and that they would be destroyed. And he knew that if he obeyed God, then God would deliver his enemies from destruction. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of that city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah and give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. How rebellious. I mean, God's trying to teach him another lesson. And he's like, yes, I'm mad. I'm going to be mad. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, it is. 
and I'm so angry, and I wish I were dead. What, what a fit. I mean, goodness. Verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Here's the lesson that, that God's trying to teach Jonah again. Many of us are more concerned about nature than we are about the souls of mankind. Many of us are more concerned about our Republican Party than we are about the souls of mankind. Many of us are more concerned about our Democratic Party than we are about the souls of mankind. Jonah is sitting there pitching a fit about the tree that God gave him and then he took it away. Jonah is more angry about the tree than he is about the than he is more concerned about the people of Nineveh being saved. God is trying to tell Jonah that it is about the salvation of mankind. It's not about your personal preference. It's not about how you feel today. It isn't about what you think or what you believe people should or should not do. God is saying, you are not the judge. I am the judge. And I am the one who decides who grace and mercy goes to. And God says, it is my desire that all would be saved. And that all would repent. God is rejoicing and Jonah is angry. How soon Jonah forgot the grace and mercy that God gave him just a few days earlier. How quickly he forgot that he was in rebellion against God. Sin is sin. That Jonah was in rebellion against God. Jonah said, I want to flee the presence of God. And he repented. And God forgave him. The people of Nineveh repented and God forgave them. Let's not forget why we're here, church. I hope I've equally offended every single person in this room. Let's not forget why we are here. That's to point people to Jesus. God, I don't care what they did to me. God, I don't care what they did in their life. God, I don't care what they look like or what they act like. God, would you save them? And God, would you use me to get this gospel message to them? God, I will rejoice if you save them. We only know that we understand the gospel in its fullness if we can pray for our enemies. If we can pray for those who have hurt us, the worship team can come up. If we can pray for those who are against us, that's when we know that we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we can pray for those who are against us, when we can ask God to bless those who curse us. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says this. The Lord is not slow to keeping his promise 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you've made some decisions in your life that's just bringing chaos to your life and to people around you. Or maybe you're here today and you're far from God. You've been far from God for a long time. And perhaps today you're hearing this message and I want you to understand that God loves you. And God is shaking up everything in your life because he loves you. That God is shaking up everything in your life to get your attention so that you just may turn your eyes to him so that you will call out to him and God is quick to save. He doesn't look at how much wrong you've done. He doesn't look at your history, but God is saying, welcome home. Come into the house of God. Come and take your rightful place as a child of God. That's what he wants you to know. And for those of us who may have been saved for a long time, God wants to remind you, don't forget the joy of your salvation. Don't forget the same grace that I extended to you, you are to extend to other people. So wherever you are in this journey, maybe you're saying, I'm far from God. Maybe you're saying, I'm in rebellion against God. Maybe you're saying, I want to submit to the call of God on my life. I've been running, and now it's time for me to stop running. Wherever you are in that journey, every head bowed, every eye closed, just simply on the count of three, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. On the count of three, you're, 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 you're not saved, or maybe you're running from God, you're in rebellion against God, or maybe you're saying, today I want to make a commitment to submit my life to God's calling. On the count of three, just simply raise your hand. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Praise God. Best decision of your life. God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for each and every person who raised their hand. God, I pray that they would be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that they would experience your love in such a tangible way that they can help but share it with the people around them. And God, I pray for those in this room who are lost. If everybody would just uh, repeat after me, just, just open up your mouth and repeat after me and say this, God, I love you. And I ask that you would forgive me for doing life my way. God, I submit my life to you and you alone. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he rose from the dead, and he is my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.